Hello and welcome to the Battle Cry podcast with Mark Meckler. Catch the original live broadcast Sunday nights at 8pm Eastern. Go to conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's the Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. Good evening, I'm Mark Meckler and this is the Sunday night Battle Cry. I'm glad to be with you guys. I'm always glad to be home, especially on a Sunday night, because I miss being with you when I'm not here. This week's theme is push your state legislature. And this is really important. This is the call to action. Whatever you think is important, whatever's going on in your state legislature that matters to you. And by the way, if you don't know what's going on in your state legislature, you should. You should figure it out. That's the stuff that affects you close to home. Whatever it is, push them. And I say push them because a lot of the legislatures are getting near the end of the state legislative sessions. Uh, the majority of them will be done by, say, the end of April, maybe early May. Some of them getting ready to wrap up even sooner than that. So you need to be paying attention and you need to not let them time out on you. This is something they do a lot where something important is going on. They really don't want to take a vote. So they just let it time out at the end of session. So whether it's convention of states, like what we've got going in several states now, I'll talk about a little bit later, push on that, but it might be, I don't know, right to life stuff. It might be pro-gun stuff. It might be protecting the second amendment in your state. It might be property tax reform, might be election reform or ballot integrity, whatever it is, be in the fight. It's not enough to just watch the battle cry. It's not enough to just sign the petition. You gotta be in, you gotta be in the fight. Right? The fight belongs to those that step into the arena. If you never step in the arena, if all you do is watch, watch the battle cry, all you do is watch the news, Fox News, Newsmax, OAN, whatever it is, if that's what you do, you're not in the fight. You're just an observer, right? You're just a spectator. And if we're going to save the country, which we are going to save the country, you have to be in the fight. It's not me. I mean, I got to be in the fight, but I am in the fight, but it's you and you, and you, and you, it's all of you. It's all of us have to be in. So right now, that means pay attention to what's going on in your state legislature. And if you don't know how to do that, look for the local groups in your state that are engaged in that. Uh, look for the statewide groups, the local groups. There's still some tea parties around, liberty groups. Look for the think tanks in your state that are conservative think tanks. A lot of those are part of the state policy network if you wanna try and figure out who they are. But be in the fight be pushing, pushing, pushing on your state legislature. <sighs> okay, I'm taking a deep breath because I have to take a deep breath because I really, really, really don't want to do this. But I got to do it, which is you got to talk about the State of the Union. And look, we know the State of the Union is bad, right? The State of the Union in the United States of America right now is very bad. Joe Biden, in my opinion, has been the worst president in American history. I'm not saying that just to be partisan or just to hyperventilate or, or just to attack on a partisan basis. I'm saying it because I think it's objectively true. So he inherited an economy that was about to roar back to life post-COVID. He inherited a vaccine that was complete and vaccine programs. If you wanted to get vaccinated, if they wanted vaccines, he had that stuff. He had the distribution in place already. He had a Middle East that was completely stable. He had an Iran that was quiet. He had a Russia that was quiet. He had China that was quiet. He had Afghanistan that was completely stable. We hadn't lost troops in Afghanistan in a very long time. And here we are, a year later, we have the worst inflation in the United States in over 40 years. 
We're about to have, probably as of tomorrow, the highest gas prices in the United States on average in history. Tomorrow. We have a supply chain crisis. We have Afghanistan where it looks like 9 million people will be faced with starvation this year. Millions of women have forced into sexual slavery and total subjugation. 13 Americans dead on our withdrawal, completely botched. We have Ukraine in flames. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. We have all of our adversaries believing that we're weak and none of our allies trusting that we'll do the right thing. Yeah, it's bad. You have the lowest presidential approval ratings in, I think, probably modern American history. I haven't looked at all of them, but certainly lower than Trump, lower than Obama. I mean, just incredible low approval ratings because the American people know that something's very wrong. Joe Biden demonstrated very clearly in that speech that he's not in command of his faculties. I have to say the beginning of the speech where he talked about Ukraine, I thought that was pretty good. His words were good. His actions may be weak, but his words were good and well-delivered. And then the rest of the speech was a bunch of nonsense. He, he talked about tackling inflation by spending more money. He's an economic idiot. Everybody knows that you can't tackle inflation by government spending and more programs and more wokeism and more and more and more. The government's going to have to draw back at some point or inflation is just going to continue to go insane. He talked about our energy situation vis-a-vis the Russians and said, well, we may put sanctions on the Russians. Looks like we're going to keep buying oil from the Russians. He doesn't really know what he's going to do. And this is one of the hard parts is he's not setting a hard line. He's not saying this is the line in the sand. He's not saying this is what we're going to do. He's saying he doesn't really know because he doesn't really know. He talked about a bunch of woke madness, not as much as he has in the past because he's had to back away from that a little bit. But he did bring up a bunch of, I don't even know what he was talking about. I heard him say the word transgender and LGB, et cetera, stuff. I don't know. Stuff the American people clearly, clearly don't want to hear. It was a dismal, pathetic, horrible, ridiculous State of the Union. By the way, I think the State of the Union in general is horrible. I'm not interested in listening to the president via a ceremony of pomp and circumstance tell me about the quote-unquote State of the Union. You want to know the State of the Union? I can tell you how to know the State of the Union. I don't need the president to try and give me his spin on the State of the Union. I can know the State of the Union by watching the news, reading the blogs, paying attention to what's going on. That's how I know everything's so bad. I don't have to listen to Joe Biden tell me. This idea that the president walks in and both houses are gathered together and it's pomp and circumstance and he shakes everybody's hand, more suitable for a monarchy than a government like ours, a federal government like ours, where the president is not some super powerful individual. He should not be, where Congress should be the most powerful branch, not the president, right? Not the executive. So I just, I don't like it. I normally try not to watch it. Kind of got forced into watching it. I'll blame Patty. She wanted to watch it, so I ended up watching it with her. I have to admit, I did drink while I watched it. Some good Texas whiskey to kind of take the edge off. But anyway, State of the Union, it's bad. Y'all know that. Okay, now another thing I'd really rather not be talking about, but we have to talk about it. And yes, we do have to talk about it, which is Ukraine. 
Now I have a personal ax to grind here and I'm an American, I'm American first and American only, but my family history goes back to Ukraine. Both sides of my family come from Odessa, which is now, I believe at this point under Russian control. It's gone Russian and independent, Russian independent. I think when my family was there, it was under Russian domination. My family subject to pogroms there and that's why they fled and came to the United States. Like what's going on over there, there's no doubt about it. It's really bad. It's hard to watch the pictures. If you've watched the pictures and you don't feel anything, I don't understand that. I don't know how your heart could be that hard. My heart goes out to the Ukrainian people. If you want to know what actual leadership in a crisis looks like, you can look to President Zelensky. This is a man who was a couple of years ago, the most famous comedian in Ukraine who played a president on television and who became president. And I know there's a lot of criticisms of him. I'm sure some of them are valid, but if you look at the man in the moment, it's pretty extraordinary. If you look at Winston Churchill during his moment, there were a lot of valid criticisms of Churchill prior to his moment, but he became the man for the moment. And right now in Ukraine and around the world, if you want to see who the man for the moment is, that's President Zelensky. It's amazing to watch him. It's amazing to watch in a country where there is so much anti-Semitism, an openly Jewish man lead the nation through crisis. And one of the things that's most amazing to see is him in his fatigue t-shirt, right? His green t-shirt, not in military pomp and circumstance, not putting on a general's uniform or something like that, not in a suit and tie, prepared to fight and potentially, and I hate to say this, but probably likely to die for his country, to die for what he believes is right, to die because he's going to lead from the front, not from the back, because he's going to lead from the streets and not from hiding somewhere. In classic form, Joe Biden offered him a ride out of Ukraine and Zelensky responded appropriately with a rhetorical middle finger saying, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. The good news is now it seems that the nations of the world are providing ammunition and firepower. I just heard tonight that the United States approved our allies providing MiG fighters to the Ukrainians and will backfill those fighters to other nations. But I don't really know what this means for the world, to be honest with you. It appears that we are potentially teetering on the verge of World War III. Putin is desperate. Who knows what he'll do? Nobody actually knows. He's threatened the nuclear button, right? He said he's put his nuclear arms on high alert. He said that if flights are taking place from other nations, he might consider them as engaged in the hostilities and he might strike out further, but he is overextended at this point. He does have nuclear weapons, and he is desperate. So one thing that I would caution you is to understand that this is a nuanced situation. I think a variety of opinions are valid and reasonable and equally reasonable. And whether you're somebody who believes that we should have a no-fly zone over Ukraine, that's not my choice because I think that engages us directly in combat with the Russians. I'd prefer to avoid that. Or you're somebody who believes we should stay on the sidelines. I understand. I can relate to your your position. I can understand your position. There is a lot of nuance here. 
And so if you have an opinion on this, and you should be paying attention to it, so you probably do have an opinion, just remember that those who have a different opinion from you, not necessarily wrong, just a different view of the facts. It's a very difficult situation. World peace hangs in the balance. Europe hangs in the balance. Certainly, Ukraine hangs in the balance. And at this moment, individual lives, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, of potentially millions of lives hang in the balance. I know it's not enough, and it almost sounds trite to say it right now, but we should keep the Ukrainian people in our prayers, their leaders in our prayers, and even Vladimir Putin, as difficult as that may be, that the Lord might soften his heart. I don't know what happens, you don't know what happens, and I just know what happens, but Ukraine is going to be front and center in the news for quite a while. For me, I think the most likely course looks like a long insurgency, like probably Kiev falls, Lviv falls, the major cities fall. It's going to be very difficult for the Russians to hold that country with any sort of peace for any period of time. So again, I don't like to talk about it. It's not something that I'm enjoying watching. I am sort of riveted by it because of the, the human tragedy and, and the hope that something could happen to avert the human tragedy. But I think it's going to be with us for a long time to come. Mark Meckler is fighting every day to call the first ever Article 5 Convention of States to drain the swamp once and for all. Join Mark and millions of other Americans by signing the official petition at conventionofstates.com slash pod. And now back to the show. All right, let's talk about another really fun subject, Biden inflation. Inflation is out of control. It's hit record highs and it's because of Joe Biden. I mean, there are, there are outside reasons. We've got what's going on in Ukraine right now is going to increase inflation, but I think it can be argued and very cogently and convincingly that if Joe Biden had imposed sanctions or really pushed on Russia prior to Russia going in, he could have potentially stopped it. If, the, uh, if he had pushed on NATO to impose sanctions early on, he could have potentially stopped it. He predicted it was going to happen. He said it over and over, I predicted it. And what I predicted is happening now. And then he didn't do anything. So part of inflation is what's going to go on with Russian fuel. We shouldn't be buying Russian fuel anyway. Now they're talking about buying Iranian oil instead of Russian oil. Why would we do that? They're talking about cutting a deal with Iran that has been brokered by Russia. Is this some kind of plot in a stupid science fiction movie and a stupid Marvel movie that the president of the United States is so stupid that our foreign diplomatic corps is so stupid that we would let Vladimir Putin's lackeys negotiate a deal for us with the Iranians, whereby we will give them money, buy their oil, re-empower the mullahs. It just leaves me speechless. I mean, what can you say? It's so obvious that this is stupid that it's hard to believe that it's actually happening. But the rumor is that by tomorrow, there'll be a deal with the Iranians. And so now we're gonna buy their oil and now we're gonna give them our money so that they can go out and destabilize the Middle East so that they can go out and threaten to nuke Israel as they continue to do. The level of stupidity is extraordinary. If we would just go back to the foreign policy that we had under Trump, which was a true deterrent foreign policy. This is not, by the way, I wanna be really clear, this is not me saying that I like the way Trump spoke or anything like that. This is me saying 
I like the results. China was not pushing. Russia was not pushing. Iran was not pushing. The Middle East, peace broke out with the Abraham Accords. You got to look at the results, not the person. It's not about whether I like Trump or I like the way he talked or I like the way he tweeted. But when you look at what happened in the world, the world was a much safer place, a much more secure place. Afghanistan was quiet and relatively safe. The Middle East was quiet and relatively safe. Russia was quiet. China was quiet because they feared Trump. They didn't know what he would do. It's pretty obvious what Biden is going to do. He's going to take a knee to every tyrant, to anybody. That's his way. He's going to take a knee to the Taliban and turn over control of them to for them to of Afghanistan. He's going to take a knee in front of Putin and not try to stop him, not try to actually do something to dissuade him from invading. He's taking a knee before China. I think his family is too deeply invested in China over the decades, and he's taking a knee before China. So if you look at what's going on, if you look at the inflation that's coming, it's coming because of all these policies of Biden. Cut off the Keystone Pipeline, stop drilling on public lands, attack the energy industry, attack coal. That's the Biden policy, right? All green, all the time, to the exclusion of everything else. Even the Green Party in Germany says, we need oil, we need gas, we need nuclear. The Green Party, not Biden, he's not giving in. Not Jen Psaki, she's not giving in. And this is insanity. You and I, we need to pressure Congress to take out all the stops. We need all the drilling we can. We need absolute energy independence. We need to elevate our fossil fuel industry. We need to elevate our energy producers. We need to make them into the heroes that they've always been in the United States of America. We need to set them free to create energy independence here in this country. That's the way you're going to attack inflation. We need to stop spending money on these big wasteful programs. That's how you're going to tame inflation, right? Those are the things we have to, that's common sense. It's basic economics. One of the things I often wonder is why do leftists hate poor people so much? I'm going to repeat that. I'm going to say it just very directly. Why do people on the left hate the poor so much? Now that sounds like it's outrageous because people on the left always say how much they love the poor. They want to do everything for the poor, the underprivileged, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is their programs, the things that they say they want to do hurt poor people. Green energy, the new green deal hurts poor people. See, because wealthy people can pay four or five bucks a gallon for gas. Upper middle class people can pay four or five bucks a gallon for middle class. But get to regular middle class people, get to people who are struggling to get by and four or five dollar a gallon gas hurts. It makes the price of everything go up. Inflation hurts poor people. Right? Rich people do okay under inflation, but poor people get hurt by inflation. Poor people get hurt by the policies. Poor, when they say defund the police, when we have all these DAs in the cities across the country that are not prosecuting crime, that hurts poor people the most. Crime isn't bad in rich neighborhoods. Crime is bad in poor neighborhoods. Defund the police. Stop prosecuting crimes. It hurts poor people. It is absolutely proven the policies of the radical left hurt poor people, and yet they keep imposing them. Don't let them get away with it. I mean, call it out for what it is. It is just they hate the poor. They're racist because it tends to be poor people of color in the inner cities paying the worst price, and they don't care. 
because it's just rhetoric that they care about people like that. They really don't. The radical left in America, the leftists hate poor people, hate people of color. Their policies prove what they actually believe. And it's real bad. All right, now let's switch from real bad to real good because there's a lot of stuff that's been going on in COS that's absolutely incredible. How about this? Last week, West Virginia passed the Convention of States resolution in the fastest passage we've ever seen through two houses. Absolute on the ground miracle. So I was there the week before, I testified in committee. It came out of committee, went to the floor in the house. Incredible, I think it was 77 to 19. It was a bipartisan vote. I think there were four abstentions or absences, 77-19. And this is incredible. The president of the Senate was waiting on the floor of the House for it to come out of the House, took the resolution physically in his hand, walked it over the Senate, stopped the proceedings, bypassed committee, called for a voice vote on the floor, and within one hour after passing the House, it passed the Senate, and West Virginia became state number 18. Man, I'm so proud of the team there. So many good people, so many good grassroots. Uh, Jay Taylor, just a leading guy among them. Jay and I, we've been in the fight together for nine years. As, as we came out of the Capitol, uh, as I had testified there late at night after coming out of committee, we reminisced and I said, you know, how old were your kids when you started this? And one of them wasn't born when we started this. I mean, there and now... They're 11 and two, or I forget what the ages are, but one of them wasn't born when it, when it started. I mean, this is incredible because we've been doing this nine years, right? Incredible. Sorry, Jay, I didn't remember your kids' ages. I think it's eight and 11. Uh, and so anyway, I just, to Jay, to our sponsors there, uh, Riley Keaton, Delegate Riley Keaton in the House, who really led the charge this year to the Senate president, uh, to Rick Santorum, our senior advisor for going there and helping out to Rita Peters, our National Legislative Council, to Grant Martin, our Regional Director. Congratulations to all of you guys because you did an absolutely incredible job and West Virginia becomes number 18. There's a lot more in the dock though. That's not it. So coming up this coming week, it looks like we're gonna get a Senate vote probably on in South Carolina. We've already passed the House. It came out of committee in the Senate. It's now getting ready to go to the floor. I think we're gonna get a, a floor vote next week and i think we have the votes to make it pass it's a little bit complicated because the senate is going to pass a slightly different version than came out of the house it's a cleaner version it's gone back to the original version which is good but that means then it's gonna have to go back to the house for their concurrence or a committee a conference committee to figure out how to work out the differences so it might be a couple of more weeks until that's all done but i think we're going to see another victory on the floor of the south carolina senate this week Iowa is on the move. The Iowa Senate's looking really good. House, I got some questions about what's going on in the House, but I think Iowa's still looking pretty good. Pennsylvania's looking really good. We got the support of the leadership in both sides, the Senate and the House. Pennsylvania, again, thanks to Senator Rick Santorum, senior advisor coming on. He knows the ropes there, especially in Pennsylvania. Super helpful there. He's been super helpful in Iowa. Really great stuff going on. Pennsylvania, Iowa, Kansas came out of committee in Kansas. I think we go to the floor in the Kansas House this coming week. Uh, Regional Director Dave Schneider doing an incredible job in Kansas. Uh, all kinds of great stuff going on all over the country. Our regional directors are doing such a good job. I'm really proud of all of them, all the work that they're putting in. Really proud of all of you in the grassroots who are out there every day 
in the fight doing what it takes to move convention of states forward it wouldn't happen if it weren't for you i could sit here i can do sunday night facebook's and battle cries till i'm blue in the face but if you guys weren't out there doing the work nothing would actually be happening so that's next week and next week for me i'm leaving tomorrow night or i should say tuesday morning at like 3 a.m and i'm headed to nashville and i'm going to nashville for NRB, which is the National Religious Broadcasters Association. So it's all the Christian radio stations, television stations in the country, gonna network with a bunch of people. I do a lot of interviews on a lot of those stations, pretty excited, we're sponsoring the media dinner. Senator Rick Santorum is gonna give the keynote address at the media dinner. Gonna be some really cool people there. We get a chance to meet and hang out with. We've got a bunch of staff that are going. I'm super excited about it. There's a little bit of a backstory to this, which is odd, I would say, maybe interesting, which is, you know, a lot of you, I don't know, I don't know if you know this about me, but I, I was raised as a secular Jew. I was raised in Los Angeles. Both my parents are Jewish, but non-practicing, you know, we're, we are cultural Jews and not religious Jews. And so I was raised without faith, really, so to speak. And I didn't find faith until I was 51 years old. I came to the Lord. I was saved by Jesus Christ. So that's the biggest turning point, obviously, in my life. And so it's odd for a guy like me to be going to NRB, right? Which is all these Christian, primarily Christian radio stations, television stations. Um, it's been quite a journey, as you can imagine, over 51 years of first just not paying attention and then being a militant atheist, honestly, is kind of how I was in college and later on became agnostic and then eventually became sort of a seeker. And I'm, I got a thick head. I know a lot of you guys are going, oh, I can't even relate to that. I've been a person of faith my whole life. Well, I haven't been. I was slow to come to faith. If you're interested in that story, if that's something that seems interesting or intriguing to you in any way to know more about that, I was really blessed. The C.S. Lewis Institute, uh, Jana Harmon did an interview with me. It was really a privilege to be able to tell my story. I've never had a chance to really tell that recorded my faith journey. So uh, I know that... Um, Producer G's gonna throw this in, in the comments, that, that podcast, if you wanna to listen to that podcast. It's weird to tell you to listen to a podcast about me telling my own story. I don't really like that, but I'm always happy to talk about Jesus Christ. So I'll make an exception for that one. So you can go listen to that. Producer G, I can see that now in the, uh, in the comments here if you wanna see it. Uh, again, that's the C.S. Lewis Society, really great organization. Jana Harmon did a good interview. You can find out a little bit more about me. I got nothing to hide. It's it's all no holds barred, right? All right. So uh, last but not least is Q&A. We're going to go to Q&A right here. Let's see what we got. Producer G picked the best ones. Brett Colbris says, when is it important to push against the constitutional convention term when referring to convention of states? You know, Brett, it used to really freak me out that people said constitutional convention. They do it to be derogatory and they're trying to misrepresent. In other words, what they're trying to say is this is exactly like 1787 and they can rewrite the whole constitution. Now that's not true, but I've kind of gotten to the point where I don't really care if people say it. If people say it and they're trying to say, oh, this is the same as 1787, I'll argue with them. If they just misuse the term, I've pretty much given up on debating them on that. Uh, Phelan McInnes says, if elections are broken, how do we get change? How do we get our tax dollars working for taxpayers again? Look, I, I agree with you that elections are broken, Phelan, but I actually think it's getting better. We don't get everything we want in one legislative cycle. But I can tell you that in states all across the country, 18 states have passed 33 pieces of legislation at last count, improving their election systems. 
So I think what we're going to get in 2022 is a lot cleaner than what we saw in in uh, 2020. I don't think you're going to see that cleanup in Democrat states, but you are in Republican states. And that really is what matters right now. And I think it's going to get better before we get into 2024. So the main thing, Dylan, is from my perspective, is for you to get involved in your state legislature and make sure they're cleaning up their election system. You know, cleaning up their roles, making sure that dead people or people who've moved out of the state, people who aren't eligible to, f- to vote, are not on the rolls. This is part of the call tonight, right? The battle cry call to action, which is push your state legislature, in this case on election reform. So just keep pushing on that. It's going to get better. I have faith. Linda Pepper says, do you think Russia would have attacked Ukraine if Trump had been elected? Nope. Is that simple enough? No, I don't think they would have because I don't think Putin knew what Trump would do. I don't think he trusted that Trump would sit on his hands and do nothing. So I think the answer is a clear no. And you know how we know? Because he didn't. He could have, and he didn't. Uh, Ruth Kerfossi said, do you think we should produce our own energy and stop buying it from Russia? Yeah, not just yes, but hell yes. Absolutely, for sure. During Trump's time, we're energy independent. We're an exporter of natural gas. So it was a revenue producer for our country. It produces tax dollars. It lowers the cost of fuels for Americans. It's good for poor people. It's good for middle-class people. It's good for the economy. It's good for everything. We should not buy fuel, buy gas, buy oil from Russia. We shouldn't buy it from Venezuela. Now we're talking about buying it from Venezuela. Hugo Chavez, are you kidding me? Like, it's just crazy what we're doing. We're going to go to now a totalitarian government in Venezuela and negotiate with them. We're going to buy it from Iran. This is insanity. We should cut. We should have a policy, period. No buying stuff from tyrants. By the way, that should go for China as well. Uh, Alex Gallimore says, West Virginia Capitol on Friday to watch the Convention of States resolution pass. I was reminded of the John Quincy Adams quote, the duty is ours and the results are God's. Man, I love that quote, Alex. I think that's really important to remember. I'm going to, I'll close with that real quick. I'm going to answer Zelma's question. How many more states do we need? Well, we're at 18 states now, so we need to get to 34, right? 16 more states to go. Is that right? Is that the math? Man, it's so hard. I'm so used to saying a different number. So yeah, that's where we're at, Zelma. 16 more to go. Okay, Alex, duty is ours. The results belong to God. It took nine years to pass West Virginia. We've been working actively there hard for nine years, eight and a half years, nine years in August, right? So eight and a half years. And the reason John Quincy Adams said, duty is ours, the results are God, is because he worked for 17 years in the House of Representatives on abolition, on ending slavery, and he did not succeed, but he continued to work because he understood duty was his, but the results belonged to God. That's a good place to close. I told you, go fight in the legislatures. Go to conventionofstates.com. Sign the petition if you haven't already done so. Get involved in your state teams. Click on the Take Action tab at the top. Sign up. Volunteer. If you're a past state, still matters because they're involved in all kinds of other fights. Conventionofstates.com. Hold your legislature accountable. Push them. Work them. Know what's going on because it's depending on you. This has been the podcast version of The Battle Cry with Convention of States Action President Mark Meckler. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod and become part of the solution that's as big as the problem. Thank you for listening.